You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. It's TechFam Podcast number 290. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. And David, next week, um, supposed to have Larry on from the CEO of Otherworld Computing. The return of Larry. Yeah, well, the first time, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's never been on this podcast. Uh, it's funny, you know, I, I did OWC Radio uh, twice. I did version one and version two. But I he was only on that show yeah. maybe two or three times. And that was a podcast his company owned. <laughs> it, but I had him on the MyMac podcast more than I had him on OWC Radio. Isn't that strange? Well, yeah, sometimes you don't want to. You don't want to be too close to your children. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be kind of weird if every time you picked up a Tesla, Elon Musk personally showed you around it? Yeah, that would probably be odd. But no, I'm looking forward to having him on the show. Um, you know, he's obviously a long time technologist, uh, and the stuff that OWC is doing, obviously, we're fans of. Not just because they're a sponsor of this episode, but because they make good stuff. I did get, uh, remember I told you they were sending me the um, drive dock. Right. I got it. Yeah. I awesome. like it a lot. Yeah. I like it a lot. The I, You know, I was so used to the newer tech one where it has this kind of eject button where you push down and the drive comes out. This one doesn't. You just pull the drive out. Uh, but it's dual power. There's only one power cable. But there's two on and off switches, one for each drive. And I like it. They they seem to fit the drives themselves, fit more snugly than they do in the other one. Okay. And they're, it's look, it's USB 3, so it's extremely fast. Yeah. I mean, um, back, in the, back in the day, we... Uh, if you wanted that sort of speed, you know, you were looking at Firewire and, and USB, even USB 2 was not great because it could choke down when you were doing a lot on the computer. Yep. But USB 3 has so much bandwidth that really it's uh, Thunderbolt and everything is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but um, USB for most 3 people is so good that yeah. it almost obviates the need for anything else unless you've got specialist requirements. Right. But I'm I'm quite pleased with it. It looks good on my desk. Obviously, it matches the iMac sitting here perfectly. Yeah. And it actually, it doesn't look too bad next to my Asus monitor because the top of this is black, which is the bezel around the Asus monitor. Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I'm I'm quite oh. pleased with it. So your Asus monitor does that crap out if it's too close to your Wi-Fi router? No, in fact, it's close to two Wi-Fi routers, and I have no problems. It's kind of crazy that. There was no shielding in that LG monitor that Apple was promoting, that it would just freak out. Now, LG's come out and said that there were... It's LG, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's yeah. LG, yeah. Uh, that they've got a redesign coming out, which basically well, means they, they're wrapping it in aluminum foil on the inside. But, uh, here's, so here's the thing. There's two things about this. First of all, you know, the reason we mention this is because the reason Apple promoted this monitor is they, they decided they weren't going to make their own high-res kind of retina-quality displays. Well, that's not necessarily the case. All we know for a fact is they don't have one to sell right now. Whether that means they're not making one or it wasn't ready when the new I, or when the new Mac Pros, MacBook Pros launched, uh, only the future will, will say. I'm, I'm kind yeah, of surprised I mean, that they're not launching their own. It'd be interesting to see whether this changes their attitude. This episode changes their attitude to that because what they did is they promoted this as a solution. Uh, and of course, the problem with promoting a solution is that if that solution then doesn't work or is found to be flawed, then that kind of reflects badly on you. It's like, well, didn't Apple do any testing on this? Is this is certainly the sort of thing you would imagine they would have caught if they'd have done their own de device? Um, there, there was word from people who knew people who knew people and some of the reports i heard were from people who normally get these things fairly right that apple were not in the business of making monitors anymore um so i think if if one does come out now it will be a response to perhaps or will certainly be influenced by this debacle and debacle is what it is these things aren't cheap and you're normally pairing them up with these new laptops that are also not cheap and then to find you know, the thing goes on the fritz just because you have it, and it's it wasn't particularly. It wasn't like you had to have the 
the the Wi-Fi device right on top of it either. It was like in the same room. Yeah, three foot. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know no, it's more than that. It was three. Was it? it was three meters. Oh, was right. it three meters? Wow. It was two or three meters, I think. So you know that is that is certainly the same room class. Yes. Um, and to find that that basically makes your expensive monitor look like um, it's broken does not it does not really bode well at all. It's the laziness that bothers me more than anything. The lack of quality control on LG's part. And I'll be honest with you, I've got an LG TV. and In fact, I've got two of them. And I'm quite impressed with the quality as far as the picture goes. Um, It's funny, though. I've got two. One is, oh, five years old. And I got a really good price on it, but it was really designed for hotels. Yeah. And it was brand new when I got it. I can go in and I can... I can I can do I, let me put it this way I've got options on this TV that consumer level TVs just simply don't have. Yeah. Like have you ever noticed when you go into a hotel you turn on the TV it always goes to the same channel and it's like some kind of a hotel thing. Yeah. I can do that with this TV. I can also upload my own logo to it if I wanted to when it starts up or when it goes into screensaver mode. There's a lot of different little tiny options that quite frankly I don't do anything with. But it's there. The only thing that monitor really or that TV really does is it's it's the game center TV, right? Right. But it's thick. It's big. Now, is that because it's five years old? Yes, but it was also a hotel one, so they really wanted to make it bulletproof so people couldn't mess with these too much in a hotel room. The newer one gets a much better picture. It's, it's you know, it's the ultra high def. It's the you know, I I talked about it a couple months ago. Yeah. And the difference in thickness, lightness, and all that is night and day. I, I could pick up the new TV, which is bigger. It's a 50 instead of, was it a 50? I think it's a 50. 40, 46 or 50, I forget. We'll just call it a 50 for now. Uh-huh. I can pick that up with one hand. I can't pick the, well, I can pick the other one up with a, with one hand too, but I would crush it because it takes so much more strength. Yeah. Um. But the picture quality is great. But when I start hearing stories like this, it does make me question not just LGs, but maybe the quality control in a lot of these consumer electronic companies that they're pushing this stuff out so quickly and so cheaply for the consumer. Is the quality really there? You know, we well, can buy the TVs I mean, yeah, now for yeah. three ninety nine, but is it going to last as long as my eight ninety nine Sony did? I think the problem we're facing is that the tolerances in this stuff, you know, as you drive down towards not only just cost but performance in terms of uh, thinness and um, and those sorts of things, you you run the risk of falling foul of, of physics, and you've got to you've got to cater for that. And you can imagine a situation where uh, they're testing this, they're testing it for. Um, for frequency, um, fil- you know, filtering frequencies and that sort of thing, and, and the, the judgment is made. I mean, it's happened many times before in manufacturing where somebody says, "Well, you know what? If we put shielding in, it's going to increase the weight, or increase the size, or increase the cost." And some manufacturer, some manufacturing middle guy somewhere says, "Well, let's just not do that. You know what? The cost of returns or uh, the cost of a, of the problem will be less than what it what it will do to affect every product." Or you know, or they they make a judgment. They say, "Well, you know, I don't think I don't agree with your test results. I don't think it's a big problem. I think you're." overstating the problem and so a decision is made to go ahead and then it then it blows up in people's faces because the real world is a very harsh environment to test in and and who knows maybe in this case apple decided that they weren't going to the rather than producing their own display they were going to um promote this one and they came to lg and said yeah that display that you're developing we want to promote it and this is when we're launching our laptops and you need to have it ready by then and lg went yeah, okay, and then somebody had to cut some corners to meet that date, and this is what happened. Uh, who knows? We don't. We, that's pure speculation, but you can imagine that being a likely scenario, a possible scenario. So, I don't think so. Um, I think it's probably likely. Yeah. Well, you can imagine it being likely. I mean, we have no no information whatsoever to suggest that that's actually what's happened. Uh, the but interesting it makes thing sense. Is that, is that I you... don't know how many of these they've sold, but they're going to have to they're going to have to return them and, and fix them. Or will they? 
well, they, <laughs> you would hope so. I would certainly hope that Apple makes sure they do because Apple's put their name behind these. Mm. You know, if 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 LG leaves the users who've got bad ones out to dry, then um, Apple's going to have a little bit of responsibility there because they promoted this product. You know. I would imagine in future, before Apple gets into this sort of deal, they'll do a bit of their own internal testing. I would hope so. Yeah. But we'll see. It's it's not... It's worrying to me that it, it seems like the quality control just is bad. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not what you, want to, what you want to see when you spend a lot of money on a product. So, so last week... Uh, we talked about quite a few things, but w- one of the things that we kind of, well, that you started to talk about, and I cut you off because we weren't at that point in the show yet, and then yeah. we never went back there, was no, the didn't. fact that you are using a Surface Pro now. Uh, not a Pro, actually. I'm no? using the Surface 3, which is the uh, the kind of the non-Pro version of the Surface. They don't make this anymore. So so let me explain how I've come to this, because any regular listeners to the podcast will know that I change pretty much what I compute on pretty much every month. Um, but I'm doing this project in London at the moment, this, uh, this central government project. And so I'm traveling back and forth all the time. And I found that I was taking a lot of gear around with me all the time. I had, a, I had my work laptop, which is a Dell Ultrabook. And then I would often have an iPad with me as well for watching movies on the train and dealing with content in the evening and that sort of stuff when I'm in the hotel room. Um, And then I've been given a, by the government department I'm working for at the home office, I've been given one of their laptops, which is all secured down and is effectively the only way I can access my home office email system. So I have all this stuff and I kind of got sick of carrying it all with me. And I really thought that I wanted to downsize and and what what could I do? kind of taken the decision that the home office email stays in the home office and I only access it when I'm there which is um, interesting they've kind of locked it down so you can't forward mail or meeting requests outside of the organisation which is challenging but that's a separate conversation and then I looked at my work laptop and I said can I manage with just this the problem is I like to have a tablet I like to sit uh, you know in the evening in the hotel I like to be able to watch movies and maybe work at the same time i like to be able to um read kind of you know news feeds and the web and email and that sort of thing while i'm not necessarily sat at a desk so i like having a tablet so i thought maybe i should look at a windows tablet again and combine the two things so i did a bit searching around and settled on this one because the it's much cheaper than the pros um this is uh it's running an arm uh, not an arm sorry uh, an intel atom quad core processor has a nice high res screen it's a 12 inch display um and it has everything it does everything that the surface is known for it has the kickstand it has the touch cover with the keyboard in it um it has the pen um and it, yeah it's not a fast as a pro but also it has much better battery life than a pro and doesn't run as hot as a pro so all in all it's it's not bad um, and it's interesting with with the last time I had a Windows tablet, it was a Windows 8 tablet. So it's interesting to come back to Windows 10 on the tablet now and see kind of how it works. Now, um, you say it's not bad. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a winning endorsement. So what is it missing? Is it speed? Is it build this is quality? The, this is the, yeah, this is the four gig memory one. Mm. And I think for speed, it's OK. It's better than your average netbook. It's nowhere near like a Core i5 Pro. But for the sort of things I'm using it for, which is uh, email, email and web browsing, yeah, a bit of web browsing, everything, you know what, it's perfectly fine. Um, you know, as I say, the display is really good. That's important to me. So all, all the ergonomics are great. Um, the internal SSD is a little bit slow. But again, I've, I've not got a lot of stuff on there. The important thing for me is is the fact that I can access encrypted drives without a problem i can access this will run anything that runs on windows because it's an intel processor so i can access all of those applications and websites and systems without any issue where i think it falls down for me is that it's kind of great as a tablet that sends into a laptop replacement as a pure tablet it's nowhere near the ipad absolutely not windows 10 is that you know they've made some improvements for touch and they've kind of got a good middle ground for um for tablet applications but they, it's just the, the experience is really clunky compared to an iPad 
Um, so, it, you know, it's that... fine, and I, I live with it because I'm saving the weight of carrying uh, an iPad Pro or another iPad with me, another device to worry about charging and managing and all that sort of things. I kind of tolerate it for that. But um, in, no, I would never go to anybody who's looking for a tablet and say, you know what, if you don't need Windows computing, the uh, the Windows surfaces are still great tablets because they're not. No. No. That's too bad. Um, you know, and and as I say, Microsoft have discontinued this one now. They, uh, I don't know whether they're going to replace it or not, but um, it's kind of a shame because you know what? If you do need to be able to run Windows and you also want a tablet, they are pretty nice devices. You know, they they're light. The battery is seven or eight hours. The screen is fantastic. It's not quite Retina quality, but it's pretty good. Um, you know, and Windows Ten is as a desktop OS is is still. You know, pretty nifty. It still is pretty good. It's better than Windows 8. You know, and if that's what you need, and and the the uh, Microsoft really has nailed the ergonomics of these devices. The kickstand now, and the the touch keyboard, and the the responsiveness of the trackpad on that touch cover, and everything is really really great. It's interesting. I'm trying to decide if so. It feels clunky though. Using it as a tablet feels clunky. So, the, so Windows 10 basically has a a tablet mode right. that it goes into. If you disconnect the keyboard, the touch cover, or you can put it in manually, and then kind of the whole Windows interface becomes bigger and more touch friendly. Yeah, and then the the start menu that you see on Windows 10 desktops turns into something that looks a little bit more like the old Windows 8 kind of big square Metro interface. But it's it's you still got the desktop there and and kind of you know so you, it's it's nice and easy. So, so for instance, I've just put it. I'm using it now, so I've just put it into touch mode, and now I have my you know standard start menu here with with the stuff I've pinned to the front, and I've got you know my email, my calendar, and the web browser and that sort of thing. But here's the problem. So if I click on the web browser, I've got Mozilla Firefox installed on this on this tablet. So I click on that, and I get a copy of Firefox that looks the same as it does on a regular PC. Now, this is very difficult to use with my finger. Right, because it's really just not designed difficult. for that. It's not designed for that. All the touch targets are very small. Um, I, look, for instance, it's in tablet mode now, and I click on the uh, URL bar to type something in, and the keyboard does not pop up straight away. I have to press it down at the bottom. Now, once I've done that a couple of times, the kind of Windows kind of figures that out and starts popping it up automatically. But, you know, it's not there straight away. So then you kind of, oh, what, 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 you know, what do I need to press to get the keyboard to come up? Now, if I, if, if I click in the search bar on Firefox, then it comes up straight away. So but, how much um, did you uh, pay for this? I paid, uh, I bought it used, but I basically bought it used from a company that was liquidating stock. So it had been barely been used. And I think I paid £220 for it. So, what, about $320, $350 maybe? Mm, I think it's less than that. The pound isn't as strong against the dollar. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking online and yeah, two hundred eighty dollars. Yeah, on today's exchange, it's about three hundred dollars if you allow for. I'm looking variation. and I can get Microsoft Surface three sixty four gig two hundred fifty bucks. Uh, sixty four yeah, gig two thirty seven. That that will be without the keyboard. Right. That'll just be the tablet. And yeah. and I would say if you're buying a surface without buying a touch cover or a type sorry, it's called a type cover now, not touch cover. The cover with the keyboard in it, there's no point having it. Yeah, it's because about two eighty to three hundred with a keyboard. Some of them are more expensive, but they've got all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Hundred and twenty eight, four forty with a pen, air art touch mouse. Looks brand new. Mm-mm. Yeah. So what do you think a good price would be to if if this was a new product to really get some traction which obviously this didn't do where do you think it would have to be uh, I think I think that sort of money is is I think you've got to compete with the iPad and you can't compete with the iPad on they they are competing with the iPod and iPad on build quality and design with this it's sure. as good as any Apple product from that point of view but to compete with the iPad in terms of functionality You've either got to make the software better or you've got to make the price less. And so I think $300, $350 is roundabout right. They made a stupid decision with the Surface, all the Surfaces, in that they don't come bundled with the with the, key, the, the 
the type cover keyboard, and they should do. Yeah, it um, should not be an option. It should that's it just comes that way. Yeah. Because basically otherwise you're you're giving the user an experience which you know straight out the box is substandard. So yeah. you should never you should never do that. No. No. But I'm having bit- said that, I mean we just had Apple's results this week when and the iPad is still it's not tanking, but it's it's not growing. And I think there are problems with the iPad as well, in that the iPad has the opposite problem. It's a fantastic tablet, but it can't do the sort of things I do here on this when I'm working. And that is a real problem for me. I'd love to be able to use my iPad Pro as my only computer when I'm doing this job. But I can't because it's just too difficult to, particularly when you're multitasking, it's too difficult to do things. It's to, you can't access encrypted drives. You can't access USB drives. You can't move things easily from one, one program to another and maintain security unless you go through Dropbox or OneDrive, which in my, in my current job I can't do because I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. I've got to keep everything local. So the iPad is, is as great as it is as a tablet, it suffers as a business computer. And, you know, I think that's, ho- that's part one of the reasons that's holding the iPad back. Yeah. And I, I really hope that this year we see improvements, not just in the hardware design for the iPad in the next versions, but they actually really, in my opinion, they need to fork iOS at this point and make a, a pro iOS that's, brings the iPad forward as a computing as a business computing device as opposed to just, you know, what it is at the moment, which is a great all round tablet. Mm, isn't that just a Mac? Well, could be, but the thing is the iPad is still substantially cheaper than an entry level Mac, isn't it? So it's it's Yeah, but would it be if they forked it and they made it more of a professional machine? If if they did, then maybe that would maybe that's one way the Mac's gonna go. You know, or maybe maybe uh, you port uh, uh, see a Mac OS to ARM, and then you do do that on the iPad Pro. I don't know. I I, I just pose the questions. I don't have the answers. <laughs> Here's the thing: I I don't think there's a problem with the iPad. Um, nor do I think Apple would go this route. Your use case scenario is pretty small. Compared to well, most I don't, users, you know what? I don't and, think and Apple. But here's the thing. Let me finish. Apple okay. isn't in the business of business computers. They are a consumer electronics company. Now, some people use them professionally, but those are mostly on the creative end. Very few businesses use Apple products because of what you say. And I, I don't think Apple sees that as a problem. It's not their core competency. It's not the it's not the market they've ever, ever gone after, regardless of this partnership with IBM to make them a little bit more enterprise friendly. It, it, you know, the, I think that partnership, if anything, highlights what I'm saying, that it's not Apple's core competency. They're not good at these things because they don't care about these things. So let a company like yeah, IBM partner up with them and provide the software solutions and the guidance to some of Apple's teams to make them a little bit more so for use case scenarios, but not as a general purpose business platform. So let me counter that. First of all, Apple sells an, a tablet product with the word pro in its name. Yep. So you got, you, you got to own it. And it might be, if you want the iPad pro line to be a proper pro line, yeah, you've got to define what that pro means. And if it's not business, it's kind of odd. Yeah, especially as your competitor sells a product called the Surface Pro, which is definitely all about business. That's point. That's the first point. The second point is I see people using Surfaces all the time in business. Yeah, they are. That's where they 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 are penetrating. I don't. Microsoft Surface business is nowhere near the size of the even the iPad when it's when it's declining in growth. Um, the Surface business is nowhere though near those sort of numbers, but it is achieving a certain level of penetration. And I think the reason people like it is for exactly what I say. They want a tablet. They want something that's light and portable and that can be, be used with touch and everything. And yet they also want to run Windows and professional software. So I think. If Apple wants to sell more iPads, and clearly they do, and and it's clearly, I mean, I I went through 
Tim Tim Cooks and um, whatever the finance guys quarterly comments of the the uh, the transcript of their comments from this week after their quarterly results, and it, I'd read probably 80% of them before the iPad was mentioned and the iPad was only mentioned by because somebody asked a question about it. So they were very much downplaying the the performance of the iPad. So they clearly have an issue there. I'm sure they would love to sell more iPads. So if you want to sell more iPads, maybe open them up to a different market that they currently don't serve. And you know what? The business market is pretty big. And you know what? They sell a lot, a lot of iPhones to businesses. So those are people who are already primed to use this device if it serves their needs. And at the moment, it doesn't. So Apple wants to sell more, make it serve their needs a bit more, and maybe they'll sell more iPads. I think it fundamentally changes what the iPad currently is, and I don't think Apple really wants to do that. That's that's why I say if you're going to do that, then you know, change the iPad line. Make the Pro line different to the regular iPad. You know, they, they used to have Mac Pros versus... Uh, regular desktop max at the moment they kind of have dropped out of that market as well but you know if you want to sell more stuff and you're not you can't sell it any more stuff to the people who currently buy them then sell to different people i mean it's business 101 i wonder if if apple made the ipad too good and i'll give you a prime example i bought the first one and i loved it you know i i remember doing an owc radio back in 2010 when it came out and I loved it, you know. I hesitated at first because I thought, well, it's just a bigger iPhone, and I've got an iPhone. But then I got one, and I was like, oh, my God, it's like a bigger iPhone, which was so great. That's what I loved about it. And then uh, I skipped the iPad 2, and I got the iPad 3. And that was good. But it was lacking a little bit in speed, uh, size of the internal storage, and the screen really needed to be a little better. Yeah. I skipped the next couple and then I got the iPad Air 2, 128 gigabytes. And I've had this now for what, three years? Yep. I still don't feel like I need a different iPad. And I'm the same. I rock exactly the same iPad at home. It's got a great um, screen, it's got plenty of storage. I don't need any more storage on it. Uh, I could use more storage, but that's only because I get lazy with what's on there currently. There's stuff on there that I could a whole seventy uh, percent of the stuff on there I I haven't used in over a year, and I could just delete yeah. it. And I just I just don't do it because it's an hour that I just don't feel like going in there and cleaning stuff up, right? Uh, and it's plenty fast enough for everything I do. So why do I need a different iPad? I mean. I kind of look at the 12-inch the iPad and go, that would be kind of cool. But, you know, the, my my use case scenario for I, my iPad, I don't freaking need that giant one. I just don't. Yeah. Well, he, so here's the thing. I'm, I have a Pro. I have a 12-inch Pro. And as I said, I don't use it as much as I, as I, as I could do because in the, in the business world, the, I can't take best use of that, make best use of that big screen. Because the multitasking is so clunky. Right. And really, if you're just going to use a 12-inch iPad like a regular iPad, then you might as well have the smaller one. The iPad Air 2 is virtually perfect in terms of form factor. It's a good size, a great screen. It's so thin and so light. Yep. Yeah. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. But that's, that just reinforces my point. The iPad is so good that a lot of people who want one already have one. If you want to drive upgrades... And you want to bring people to that platform, you've got to make it different. Otherwise, because at the moment, it clearly is serving its current market pretty well. And that's why the sales are not growing. You've got to grow it out into, into a different market if you want to sell more of them. Um, and and I think I think it it appears at the moment, and it's not. it's been about, what, three years now that iPad sales have been in the same position? Yeah. It's since really since the year after the iPad Air 2 launched. You know, they've been in this steady decline, and the reason for that is that it just is good enough for what people want it. They've got no inclination to go out and buy something new. Yeah, so that's why I would say break the line. 
make a pro make a pro product that runs a slightly different version of well, I'm not talking about radical change, a slightly different version of iOS that's much more focused on applications and multitasking and you know dispenses with some of the um, standard iOS iOS paradigms and does does something different. And you know what? That's a insurance for the future because then if your Mac business continues to slow down, then you've got a you've got another platform. If if Apple really believes that the iPad is the future of computing. I can't believe they think it's the future of computing exactly as it is now with the software it has now. Because it's, it is, everyone accepts that it's limited in certain things. Some things it can't do, some things it won't do. And, you know, you can't make something that's going to replace all the other computers in the world if there's a whole pile of things it doesn't do that those other computers do do. You know, I, I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm typing at the same time because I wanted to write this down so I'd I didn't forget it. Let's let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. I've, I've got something I want to talk about on there. We'll yeah. be right back. Now, see, what I'll do is I'll, I'll throw in some of that stuff that we've been saying after that into the commercial itself. Right. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and, but what will we do when it's no longer like autumn or fall of 2016? Well, we'll do it. We'll do a different one. It's, it's, it's December 2016. And the are still bloody podcast. Until it's not. Make us shut up. Kill him. Kill him with fire. <laughs> Back here on Tech Man Podcast 290, Tim Robertson, David Cohen. We were talking about the Surface Pro and the, uh, well, the Surface 3, I should say, and the iPad ecosystem. We're going to get back into that and dovetail it into Apple's Mac platform as well. But first, we want to encourage everyone who is listening to send us feedback. We'd love to get your opinions on what we're talking about. Uh, it's real easy to do. Simply send an email to the show at techfanpodcast.com. And, you know, we'll read it right here on the show. We didn't get, I don't think we got anything from the last show, David. No, I don't think so. That's rare that we don't get any feedback. So this is an open invitation. Please send us feedback. Unfortunately, everything we say is so perfect that people just can't add to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very much encouraged to send us feedback. You can just go to the website, techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com, and leave a comment in the show notes, and we'll pick them up and read them here as well. I I can virtually guarantee that we're going to get something from Brendan this week saying, tablets, what a lot of rubbish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he uses a piece of stone and... And flattens it. No, well, yeah, but actually, you know what? I, I'm Brendan. I know you're listening. So, write to us and tell us what you do use. I'm really interested to know what you do use and and kind of your what your computing environment is like, because uh, you know, you, I'm 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 very much about trying out the vintage stuff and and the older stuff and getting by with older stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd be interested to know know how Brendan rocks his computing. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsor this week, uh, MacSales.com. Obviously, I'm I'm using their product right now. I'm very happy with it. Just the ability to have two hard drives plugged into this thing that I can easily swap in and out. I should I yep. just should have got something like this a long time ago. Yeah. And I so had got, something yeah. when I had two of the Voyagers, but one of them it was like a first generation one died on me, and I never replaced it. So I was stuck with just the one. Yeah. And I'm glad they sent me this because it's definitely yeah. going to get used. So it must be great to hook both that um, that unit up to your iPad and watch movies off those hard drives. Yeah. Hang on a minute, you can't do that. No, but what I can do is, since all my movies are on the drive, are on this drive, plugged into my computer, I can watch them all on my iPad because I'm running Plex, and Plex but then is you serving need that the computer. Uh, I I don't have to have the computer. No, I could have just a media server, a, well, a NAS box. A computer to serve those files to the iPad. Unless I and, sync and this, them. This is an issue. Is, that, is you know, if, if the iPad really wants to wear the big boy pants, it needs to be able to do this stuff on its own rather than relying on something to make it happen for it. Well, this kind of goes back to 
what I was going to bring up, and I said we'll we'll talk about it after the break, and that is, does Apple do enough? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because I think the answer is no. Does Apple do enough to support the third-party ecosystem that is built up around both the Mac and iOS, including the iPhone and the iPad? I don't think they do. I think that their history over the last few years of closing these systems off, that not allowing upgrades, hard drives, or RAM, um, I think that hurts the ecosystem. And I think when you do that, and, and I on, honestly do believe that this is the big problem right now with some of the people out there just aren't into the Mac the way they used to be. And I don't think that the iPad ever got that kind of a, a driven user base is because there's not a lot you could do with it outside of what Apple intended. There's really no great cases anymore for laptops. I mean, spec makes them in a couple other companies, but yeah, you know, there's, yep. there's not this rich ecosystem that enhances these products. Now, some could say, well, yeah, it's because, oh, they're perfect as they are. That's BS. They are not. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Apple puts too many restrictions, artificial restrictions, on these platforms simply for the stake, sake of aesthetics. In long term, it's going to hurt Apple. I think if the iPad had a more of a little bit more of an open architecture where you could plug in a USB stick and read movies... Uh, where it was a little bit more business-friendly. You'd see a richer ecosystem that's supporting it, which would get more people wanting to buy it, which in turn would get more people to want to upgrade as time goes on to take advantage of some of these third-party peripherals that would come out for the new version, right? Yep. I think if they would just stop closing everything off and, and making themselves more friendly to an internal upgrade cycle for the current machines, I think more people would buy Macs, would buy iPads. They're not having any problem with the iPhone. Yeah. Look, I, we've got to keep these things perspective. I mean, Apple has the money to play a long game. And clearly with the iPad, what they're doing is they're playing a long game. They're trying not to sweat the fact that... Um, Growth is 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 uh, that the, the the market is declining, but they're still selling millions of the damn things every quarter. It's not like it's a moribund business by any stretch of the imagination. And so it could well be that we worry about these things, and Apple just doesn't. They just go, well, you know what? It's a good business. Um, it supports the overall platform, and we reckon that that you know leave it long enough, and it will pick up. As we we incrementally develop the hardware and the software, it will pick up. So it could be they're completely healthy, relaxed about it, and don't feel the need to do major investment or major changes of the sorts of things we're talking about. I think your your point about third parties is fine, but look how we open the show. Apple got into bed with a third party, and it's burned them. And every time that happens, they become more and more gun shy about doing it, and much more and more. Uh, gung-ho about you know keeping control of the whole widget themselves the difficulty is today's apple is doing less and less of the whole widgets because it's doing less things it's moving away from the routers from the screens from the the console peripherals that the market often provides and um you can't have it both ways you've either got to open up two third parties and kind of live by that sword die by that sword or you've got to do more to support your platform you can't you can't have it both ways and do neither. It's true. I agree. So I guess the question then is do you think that there's any chance in hell that Apple will start to embrace like they used to the and and maybe they never really did to be honest. Well, I don't know. I I remember Steve Jobs keynotes him highlighting third-party hardware that was Mac compatible. Look at this digital yeah. camera. Look at this. Look at you know, they don't they don't really do that anymore. You know, no, and, and and I think the problem with hardware is that plenty of manufacturers have been burned by changes in interfaces. You know, the thirty pins of the lightning and things like that. They've been changed obviously by uh, design changes. If you, if you particularly with with a tablet or with a or a phone, if you design it to really fit like a glove with a 
particular form factor and then Apple changes it every year, then you've got an issue. And we've all been in computer stores and um, gone on online at places like OWC and everything, and you see peripherals for older iPads and older iPhones that basically are, are kind of in the bargain bin because everyone's moved on and these things just, just won't sell. They always they always sold in relatively no numbers anyway. I was, I'm always reminded by... Um, Sometimes when you, I'm looking at stuff uh, stuff for podcasting, you occasionally come across things like docks that the iPad could slot into that kind of turned it into a full uh, audio workstation. You know, with kind of microphone, big, you know, XLR microphone inputs and dials and stuff like that. And of course, every single one of those is you know supports an iPad that's about three, four years old. So if you want to use it, you've got to go out and buy a used iPad. You know, that's um, right. those. Those manufacturers, every time that happens to them, they go, you know what, we're not going to take that risk anymore because it's a risk that's outside of our control. So Apple needs to kind of embrace those manufacturers and work more closely with them rather than just putting up a licensing program and say, we're here, if you want to do it, just you know, pay us a fee to use the license program, but we won't support you anything like that. They certainly won't sit sit down with manufacturers and say okay well here's what here's our roadmap for the next 18 months so you can design your manufacturing capability around that they'll never do that right and the problem there is that we'll use the podcast rig thing as an example the uh, apple comes out with a new ipad three months later this company releases this thing if they're lucky three months is all it takes <laughs> and they've basically got at that point nine months to sell it because guess what? Apple's going to come out with a new iPad and this thing's not going to work. Yep. And they don't know what the new iPad is going to be, uh, size. They is it, are they going to USB C or are they going to stick with Lightning? Yeah. Um. So, so the third parties have basically a, a, a nine month period. Maybe, yeah. because let's be honest, if you're three months out when you know Apple's going to come out with an iPad and you're thinking about one of these rigs, well, eh, maybe I'll just wait for the next iPad and get that one because it'll be faster with more storage for on the same price, hopefully. And then I'll get the one that works with the next iPad. Yeah. But of course, there isn't one that works with the next iPad because that company said, you know, what? we've done this twice. We're not selling these things in enough numbers because we keep getting surprised by Apple and businesses do not like to be surprised. Heck with it. We're just not going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I think it's a big problem. And I think if Apple truly embraced the third, the aftermarket, the third parties and treated them like partners rather than like leeches that are leeching onto what they created, which I get the impression that Apple kind of feels that way about a lot of these companies. Oh um, yeah. Look, I mean, look at you, what you used to work in the, um, partner ecosystem of, uh, you know, companies that are directly supporting Apple as resellers, and Apple didn't treat them particularly well either. It, it, well, yeah. You know, when I worked for Mac Specialist, we were an Apple specialist, and the way that I saw Apple treating the other Apple specialists, including us, was disgusting. Um, some of the practices bordered on being illegal, but none of those partners would ever take Apple to court, even though it's clearly they would win because it's Apple. What are you, what are you going to do? You're going to win and then they'll pull your license and then you're just out of business. And the draconian business practices that Apple would employ against these companies. Look, one of the, biggest and best Apple specialists out there were, were tech serve in New York. They're out of business now. You know, they closed up shop right in Manhattan and Apple basically forced them to by, by stealing all their customers. You know, you would buy a Mac at tech serve and then you'd get all this stuff from Apple about going to the Apple store. You know, they, they didn't support their own partners and, and I'm not even talking about how much an Apple specialist could make by selling a Mac, which was peanuts. There was a, a lot of inside baseball stuff I could talk about that I'm not going to, well, let, but it let was me, disgusting. Let me share one, one example that I came across recently. You remember I told you that I had the, um, the battery replaced on that, um, Resina MacBook 
Pro that I bought off my brother. Sure. Yeah, the 13 inch. Yeah. Well, I had that done at the Apple Store, and um, where I work here, I work here next to the BBC in Media City in Salford. Um, now, here on campus, there is a um, there is a company. I'm going to give them a free shout out because I like them. They're called Jigsaw 24, and they're an Apple specialist. Um, and they do other things as well. But the, one of the things is they're an Apple specialist and it, it's a good place for them to be because, you know, we're in a lot of companies here are in media. The BBC is here. A lot of them use Macs. So um, I went to them and I said, look, you're just you're within walking distance of my office. Can you do this battery for me? Uh, and they said, yeah. And uh, then they gave me the price. And I said, uh, oh, right. OK, that's quite a bit more than Apple says on their website they do it for. And they went, yeah, we can't match Apple's pricing on that. And I said, well, that's that's slightly odd. I thought you were an Apple specialist. I thought you were like a support partner. He says, yeah, we are, but they they won't sell us the batteries at the price that they sell them to you in the Apple store. That's right. So there we go. And, and it wasn't – we're not talking about, uh, you know, 20 quid or something like that. We were talking about £118 more expensive to go to the local specialist rather than go to the Apple store. So what did I do? I went to the Apple store because I couldn't afford the extra money. Right, and that's because yeah. Apple puts these practices in place, trying to drive these other businesses out, and at the yeah. same time telling them, "Oh no, you're you're a variable partner, really, because yeah. you don't yeah. act like it." Yeah, you know these are these are companies that saved apples as a company when there were no Apple stores. It was these companies and the owners of these companies that were taking care of Apple's customers when Apple was unable to do so on their own. Oh, and yeah, you know, I'm sure today's, is, Apple, today's management and Apple will, would say to you, well, I'm sorry, that that's, that's ancient history, and that's not the position we're in, and we haven't been in that position for nearly 20 years, and, um, you know, now we've got to conduct business the way we have to conduct business. I mean, you know, business is, is unfortunately, is often uh, cutthroat. Um, you know, look at how... Grocery stores and big supermarket chains treat their food suppliers. This is this is endemic across big industry nowadays, which is you you treat your suppliers and your partners terribly because that's just business. Don't take it personally. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I agree with it because I certainly don't. I agree. But, You're right. Um, it is the way is, it is. You know. And it's uh, yeah. it's unfortunate. Oh, well. It, it, you know, it, it is. I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, but but the thing is, from from Apple's point of view, is they've they've effectively they've got, they've got a big competing business now against these specialists, uh, and it, it never has been in their nature to really properly partner with people. No. Now, how not. many times have they thrown partners in the look at you know right right back in the day? Look at you know they they did the whole Mac clone thing and those guys tool up to start selling Macs and everything like that and then Steve comes back and says no we're not doing that anymore. Yep. And throws those companies under the bus. Yeah. It's um I I don't blame anybody who is um as a business is concerned about Apple's capriciousness. And the fact that, you know, whatever whatever a deal means can change. You know, <laughs> they're like Darth Vader in uh, Cloud City, you know. And Lando goes, but I thought we had a deal. And he says, yes, we're changing the terms of the deal. Uh, and if you know what's good for you, keep quiet. Otherwise, we'll change it further. Mm-hmm. No? It's, it's like, what are you going to do? That's kind of it. So, it's, so uh, Apple is Darth Vader in your analogy. Unfortunately, they are the uh, evil <laughs> empire in that one, yeah. But, you know, I'm not singling Apple out in that every company does this. Microsoft does it to their hardware partners. Microsoft released a, <laughs> a slide deck at, um, some, at the WinHEC conference in China this week where they basically told OEM partners what devices they should be building. Yeah, according to Microsoft View. The slide deck was going around um, you know, some of the Windows websites as last yeah. week. You know, these are the things you should be focusing on. Now, that's fine in terms of saying to your partners, these are the areas of Windows we're going to focus our marketing dollars on. And if you want to cash in on that, then you should have products that match. That's a fine message. But the way they kind of pitched it was, you know, thank you very much, partners. These are the devices we're interested in you selling so that we make more money. So please go out and make them. 
Yeah, and, and as an, I, I can imagine plenty of OEM partners saying, oh, yeah, thanks very much for telling us our business, Microsoft, but what's in it for us? Because, you know, plenty of those people will probably remember waking things like Windows RT tablets that don't <laughs> no longer exist and, you know, uh, all sorts of other products. I, I always think this OEM thing with Microsoft is very odd. And it's the same, it's the same deal. It's, it's you know, yeah, you, we want you to help us with our business, but when it suits us to stab you in the back or throw you under the bus, then that's just business and we will do it. And Microsoft does it, Apple does it, Google does it, uh, all the big tech companies, the Chinese companies do it, the, you know, the Taiwanese companies do it, the uh, Korean companies doing it. It is the way business operates now. It's horrible, but that's the way it is. You know, we're, we haven't even mentioned the biggest news this week. That's not politics, and we've kind of intentionally avoided politics. Well, we we did politics, you know. We did the Brexit thing, and we did the, you know, the president thing, and, and you know, we don't need to keep going back there. There's because God knows plenty of people talk about that all the time. I, I'm tired of it myself, Yeah, you know. Um, biggest news of the week, though. And, and I... You probably remember where you were and what you were doing when you found out. I know I do. Go on. Lay it on me. Ben Affleck decided not to direct the Batman movie. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. Did he decide or was he told? No, I think he decided. I, I... I think he's very disillusioned. Ben woke up one morning and he realized, he looked around, saw the... SHIT storm he was in the middle of and decided he was done with it. Well, he goes out to promote his latest movie and every single person asks him about the Batman stuff. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're 44 years old. They're they're talking about this movie coming out in like three years. You're going to be the 47-year-old Batman, really? I'm 47 and I ain't getting in the Batsuit. I mean... He had just really started resurrecting his career. And then the big news, you know, after Argo and, and after um, uh, Old Town, and there was another one in there, the disappearing chick, I forget them. I, I never watched it. But he was, he became, you know, he finally got over that Geely stuff and, yeah. and, and all that crap with Jennifer um, Lopez. The benefit thing. And, yeah. yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's finally resurrected. They're taking him serious as an actor and as a, director and then what's the big news he's going to play batman in in this movie and everybody's like okay and then that are you stupid (laughs) why and he was great in that he was the only in superman batman his character was great except it really wasn't batman i mean batman doesn't murder people and no but but the the tone he brought to the character and the um it was I, nice. I always thought I liked he, I always, it. Well, certainly he. I, I thought he was far more convincing as Batman than Henry Cavill has ever been as Superman. Um, in that, you know, he plays the character. He played the character kind of as we know the character in terms of the tone and the grittiness and and all of that sort of thing. And and having an older Batman was was interesting. Um, well, but yeah. then it kind of spiraled out of. Well, the whole um, DC franchise is is in the dumpster. Well, as I say, it's a storm. A storm of what I said it was, yeah. and um, I, I, I find it interesting timing-wise that you know they've just not recent, not that long back, uh, wrapped Justice League, and um, I wonder if he sees what happened on Batman and Superman going to going to happen again, and he's starting to think, you know what, this is something I need to start thinking about disengaging myself from. I think that's exactly right. It's unfortunate too because, and you said Henry Cavill, his Superman, he's not as believable. I, I, it's one hundred percent not that character, that, not that actor's fault. It's the material oh, no, that I, he no, is I'm not given. Blaming, I'm not yeah. blaming Henry Cavill for his performance. No. I think his performance is is very good given the material he has to yeah, work with. But it's I inconsistent with what the character is. is. Yeah. Superman should be the ultimate Boy yeah. Scout. Yeah. And he, and they basically made Superman into like a Batman, a brooding figure, and that's not what Superman is supposed to be. Yeah, well, Superman is. They have a Superman who's afraid of himself. Right. He's afraid of of embracing what he is. Well, think about the Superman yeah. versus Batman movie. Batman's chasing the bad guys in the Batmobile. Clearly, the bad guys, 
and Superman flies down and stops Batman, and gives <laughs> him a warning, and does nothing guy. about. Yeah, he, he just lets the bad guys go. <laughs> he could, you know, he could fly at super speed and stop the truck full of. I forget what was it. Was it kryptonite in the back? Right, I remember. Um, you know, and and perhaps that was what they were trying to imply. Was, oh, it was kryptonite. He won't go anywhere near it. Do me a favor. Yeah, he could stop that truck in a nanosecond and then go back to his conversation with Batman. Right. <laughs> you know. But he doesn't. He just no, he lets he just the let, Batmobile let slam leave. into him and kind of gives him a little threat. And Blue Blade, you will. You know, it is ridiculous. And, and that's all. Anyways. Anyways, we should just we should do a What's Wrong with the DC Universe podcast one day and then compare that with the Marvel. And it yeah. kind of, then again, it would kind of be a short one. It's. Marvel invested in making you care about these characters, and DC never did. They don't care yeah. about the characters. It's all about the toys. The, well, no, it's it's less about. I think from a filmmaker's perspective, it's it's more about the spectacle, yeah, rather than the character. Because nobody cares about Iron Man. They care about Tony Stark, and and the arc that his character took in the very first Iron Man movie. Think about the begin. You everyone loves Tony Stark, right? Think about how that character started at the beginning of that first Iron Man movie. Yeah, he was he's a, an arms he, dealer. He was yeah. a jerk. No, you you weren't supposed to like him. And his character goes on a journey, changes, becomes something totally different. But he still has issues. Yeah, well, not, look at look at the arc he went on. He went on, you know, being the guy who wouldn't give his technology to the government. To by the time we got to civil war. He was the guy saying, you know what guys, we need really need to work with the government on this. This is the safest way to deal with. And then at the same time, captain America, who's the super soldier who was so patriotic that he basically threw himself into an experiment that could have got himself killed because he was so desperate to fight for his country was the one saying, you know what? I can't trust what the orders I'm being given. I'm not going to sign up to this now. And you know what? It was a different, storyline the civil war in the comics but it worked it worked and it brilliantly worked in the in the environment of the movies and the and the the storylines and, and the the narratives they'd taken and and, and it, you know it was it was a great film and it was a great storyline and, and they've built uh, up to this this isn't characters. something that just came out of the blue they've been building this since that first iron man movie i mean yeah iron man goes through tony stark goes through this character arc where he's basically got PTSD. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not a well person, but yet you believe it. You know? Is it just the actor? Sure. Some of that, I mean, it's Robert Downey Jr. He's a brilliant actor, but I've seen him in bad movies. Yeah. You know, this is well-crafted storytelling on a level with this many movies, and they're not all home runs, but on on this many movies, it's unprecedented. It's never happened. Never, never happened. The closest they've ever come were the monster movies from the 50s. That's the closest they've ever come to making this kind of a a shared universe, and and that was paltry compared to this. Yeah, and... and don't get me wrong. I mean, we we what would be interesting after doing a podcast about the, the faults in the DC universe is to do a, a podcast about the faults in the Marvel universe. And there are some. No, there are there are problems. There are some substantial issues in the Marvel universe, um, and not all of these movies are great. And even the great ones have some flaws. But we're not. We're talking about niggles. Yes. Compared to the train wreck, which has been pretty much every DC movie. Well, there's a difference between getting some things wrong and a fundamental flaw. Yeah. So we'll Uh, save that rest of that for a future episode. Not next week. Obviously we're going to have Larry on the show and, uh, that's going to be via Skype. So that'll be, I'll be talking to Larry and David and I will, uh, uh, get together as well. So figure out how we're going to edit that. Um, but maybe in two weeks we can talk about Marvel and DC and getting to that unless, of course, some big tech thing happens. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, the listener. Um, between now and then, send us what's what's your favorite Marvel movie and why. And if we get a couple of you guys to uh, to send that in, that would be great. And we could talk about it. Uh, so let's say two ninety two. We're going to talk about uh, DC uh, and probably Marvel at the same time. What do you think? 
Yeah, so, sounds like a plan. Yeah, a little bit of a break from the tech stuff because, quite honestly, Dave, there's not a whole lot going on in tech that's really exciting to me or even all that interesting. Yep. Just kind of a blah time right now. It I, and, always is. It always is um, until is. we get to the spring and you know new products start coming out and and we start seeing where people's strategies are going. Then it, it's um, it's always a bit of a slow slow time of year. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, the whole industry, though, is just kind of coasting right now as far as I'm concerned. What's your favorite new product, tech product from 2016? I, I can't think of one. Um, I, I, for me, probably the AirPods. I'm really loving the AirPods. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, I don't have one. I can't no. think I can't think of one thing. I mean, I look, a year ago, I, I didn't have a Raspberry Pi, and now I'm into that, but that's... The way I'm using it has nothing to do with new technologies. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I really enjoy it. But I'm using it very limited compared to what I could be doing with it. So, I don't know. So, we're going to talk about a little bit more geeky stuff here in a couple weeks. And, uh, again, love to get your feedback and your thoughts. Uh, the show at techfanpodcast.com. And David and I will see you next week. See you then.